We're excited to tell you about Pine Tree Garden Seeds, a women-run, family-owned and operated business since 1979, founded with the simple mission of offering low prices on quality seeds to the home gardener. Over the years, offerings have expanded to include over 1,300 varieties of seeds, including many heirlooms and organics, a huge assortment of tools and gardening gear, and lots of new gardening books. They also offer roots, plant starts, and tubers, berry bushes, asparagus roots, onion sets, hops, fig trees, sweet potatoes, dahlias, peonies, lilies, and a whole new selection of fall flower bulbs. Located in Maine, they operate out of a 300-year-old farmhouse and strive to offer the best service and products with a personal touch. They continue to hand pack more than half of their seeds and rely on their Ballard machine from the 1890s to do the rest. So order your seeds today from superseeds.com and use the promo code GOODDIRT2024 for 20% off your entire order. That's superseeds, S-U-P-E-R-S-E-E-D-S.com with our code GOODDIRT2024. Fast Forward Productions. The women are speaking. You know, I just think of the earth as like the big mama, the big mother that supports us all. And it's physical, it's spiritual. I mean, these herbs were made to help us along our path. You're listening to the Good Dirt Podcast. This is a place where we dig into the nitty gritty of sustainable living through food, fashion, and lifestyle. And we're your hosts. Mary and Emma Kingsley, the mother and daughter founder team of Lady Farmer. We're sowing seeds of slow living through our community platform, events, and online marketplace. We started this podcast as a means to share the wealth of information and quality conversations that we're having in our world as we dream up and deliver ways for each of us to live into the new paradigm, one that is regenerative, balanced, and whole. We want to put the microphone in front of the voices that need to be heard the most right now. The farmers, the dreamers, the designers, and the doers. So come cultivate a better world with us. We're so glad you're here. Now, let's dig in. Good morning. So we've had a huge weather swing this week. We went from single digits, ice and snow. And now I would describe what is going on out there as a big thaw. Yeah. Lots of mud. But that's really fitting for this moment at the beginning of February because we are now in the Festival of Imbolc. It's February 1st and 2nd. So that is the celebration of the cross quarter day. That marks the beginning of spring and the celebration of Bridget, goddess and the saint of Irish folklore that we've always claimed as the patron saint of Lady Farmer. We've talked about her a lot on here. Yeah. And when we say patron saint, it's all in good fun and play. It's not anything super serious. It's just that we really love St. Bridget and her place in history and the story and the legends around her. We think that she represents a lot of what 
we talk about at Lady Farmer. Let's see, starting with, well, she presides over the hearth as like a threshold and in preparing food and keeping the fire going. So again, the threshold being transitions like winter into spring. And since we're all about seasonal living here, it's a very important idea. She's also a skilled herbalist and healer and cook. And she excels in the arts of poetry and weaving, animal husbandry, midwifery, and even beer making. So St. Bridget definitely represents an earth-centered lifestyle, and she's just a really cool person and figure in history. And if you don't know much about her, we do have an episode centered all around her with Celtic scholar Kathy Spar. That was from a couple of years ago. We'll link that in the show notes. And we've told this story on here before, but one of my favorite stories of Good Dirt Listener is that she listened to this episode about St. Bridget and was inspired to pursue midwifery as a career by St. Bridget and by hearing about St. Bridget on the Good Dirt podcast. So that's fun. So anyways, here we are again, another St. Bridget day. And it's really fitting for this week's episode as well. In addition to the Slow Living Through the Seasons podcast, Mom, that you've been doing. So you came out with a special episode. We launched it yesterday. So if you haven't listened yet, it's there. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what people can hear on that if they haven't heard it yet? Yeah. Tune in to Slow Living Through the Seasons this week to hear more about Bridget and how she relates to this season and how we experience in bulk this important transition from winter to spring. It's a time when we still feel in the middle of winter, which indeed we are. I think the importance of it is to remember that now we're over the halfway point, so to speak, and we're headed into spring now. We are closer to spring than we are to the winter solstice. So that is a shift. It's a shift in experience and perspective and attitude. And we want to observe what's going on around us and see it with our eyes and feel it in our bodies. And it's just what we talk about in Slow Living Through the Seasons. So tune into that episode if you're interested in more about St. Bridget and other things as well. I also talk about Valentine's Day. I include a fun recipe and I include some fun things from the seasonal kitchen as always. So please tune into that. So we think our guest for today's episode is a wonderful tie-in to our celebration of Imbolc and Bridget with her connection to the earth and healing herbs. Jane Hawley Stevens is owner, grower, and creator of Four Elements Organic Herbals, which is a complete herbal wellness line established in 1987. Jane is also the author of the recently published book, The Celestial Garden, Growing Herbs, Vegetables, and Flowers in Sync with the Moon and the Zodiac. Jane is also a pioneer of the organic farming and natural products communities, and she inspires others through bringing herbal wellness to the marketplace and teaching herbalism and organic farming methods throughout the country. In her book, we learn how growing things according to astrological cycles can help restore our elemental interconnection with nature and the earth and how it offers a deeper level of connection to that which sustains us. Yes, and if you follow us, you'll know that this is a subject near and dear to our Lady Farmer hearts and something that I talk about every month on the Slow Living Through the Seasons podcast. The planting by the moon aspect is very central to that particular podcast. It was such a joy to talk to her and expand our knowledge about these things. We're so grateful to have her here sharing her wisdom, and we learned so much. We're sure you will, too. So here's Jane Holly Stevens, author of The Celestial Garden, Growing Herbs, Vegetables, and Flowers in Sync with the Moon and Zodiac.
Jane Holly Stevens from Four Elements Organic Herbals in North Freedom, Wisconsin. And I am an organic farmer and herbalist. I've been certified organic since 89 and specializing in herbs since 81. So those subjects I am really well versed in. And I have been doing gardening by the moon for about 30 years now, using the old farmer's almanac as my guide. I just love how I see nature fits together so well. And my real specialties, as I said, is organic farming and herbalism. The astrology part, I was lured into by my love of the universe and how everything fits together. But that's not my first discipline. I'm not really an astrologer. Okay. So tell us a little bit about your background and some of the things that led to what you're doing now, and especially the writing of this book, The Celestial Garden. Okay. So my background is I'm from Wisconsin, and I had a grandmother who was a wonderful outdoors woman. She would take me out in the woods walking. She would call the forest her church. And I still remember when I was about three or five years old, when she took me out to pick blueberries in the woods, in the wild. There was something about that moment that touched my soul so deeply that when I turned 18 and had to choose a career path, I remembered that moment and realized that I had to be outside for a career. I didn't know there was a major called horticulture at the time, and but the University of Wisconsin had a degree in horticulture, so that's the study of how to grow plants. That was perfectly suited for that. I thought maybe I would have an apple orchard someday or some family farm situation. So anyway, I went to school for horticulture. And my first job out of college, I was asked to put in an herb garden. This was for a scientific research place. It was just to decorate up the grounds, to have a formalized herb garden behind the visiting guest house. So I went to, found some old, beautiful English garden, not garden sort of designs, and got to design this garden and put in the herbs. And I just became enchanted. I really say this is when herbs chose me because I just felt captivated by this wonderful group of plants that were so scented with these lovely textures and smells and flavors. They were just absolutely seductive and intriguing. So I worked that job for a while and eventually decided to start a family. And so when I was pregnant, I built a greenhouse with help of my friends, thinking that I would just stay home and grow herb plants. Well, when my son was a baby, he would get repeated earaches. So I took him to the doctor several times, and it just was the strangest thing. All they would do is just throw antibiotics at any situation at all. That was the middle of the 80s, and hopefully it's improved since then. But it wasn't helping him. So I I had a great herb library and a great herb garden, a lot of selection of herbs. So I just consulted my herb library and found the remedy for the earache, I really thought, this is too simple. This sounds like folklore. I just really didn't believe it, but I had to try it. I went outside and got the herb and made this little remedy, and I put a couple drops in his ear, and he stopped crying immediately. I have to say, according to FDA guidelines, that I am not a doctor, and I cannot claim to treat, mitigate, or cure any diseases. The stories I'm going to tell today are considered antidotal. So just because they happened doesn't make them real, according to FDA guidelines. 
We get it. I'm so interested in this because I, too, in the mid-80s, had young babies. And the ear infection thing was just, you know, it happened all the time. And you're so right. You take them to the doctor and they would just get antibiotics. And I wish I had had an alternative remedy. A little later on, I I discovered the coning thing where you put the, the cone in the ear and I didn't find it really helped at all. But in later years, I discovered other herbal remedies, but my kids are all grown up by then and but they survived, as you see my daughter here. So that is. <laughs> anyway, that's interesting that you had that same experience in the 80s with the whole ear infection thing. It's not an uncommon situation. When I saw how effective Mullen was, I just became a total convert. And this was going to become my path because I knew that I just scratched the surface of a gigantic iceberg that the whole whole outdoors was full of remedies that were in plain sight, but hidden, right? Hidden in plain sight. Yes, just ever available to us. And we just have to learn about it. Okay, so where were you living at the time that you had a big herb garden? Well, I was in Texas for six years. I was a very out of place northerner, but met some great people down there. And I moved back to Wisconsin when my husband got into grad school at the University of Wisconsin. So that was in 91 when I moved back to Wisconsin. And at some point, I'm recalling from the story in your book, you had a very serendipitous experience of finding your current farm. Is this your current farm that you live on? Yes. I can't ever see leaving that that paradise. Oh, well, we would love to hear that story. Yeah. Okay. Well, so I actually, of course, well, I had it was renting a place and my landlord was kind of stalking me. And it was pretty scary for me with the young child. David was, we weren't married at the time. And so I was a single mom and renting a house. Anyway, the landlord would drive by slow several times a day and he'd come in the house when I wasn't there. And I just got really fearful, really anxious. So just started going around. That's when David found out he'd go into grad school in Madison. So I looked an hour radius around Madison for a farm. At the time, I already had my company, Four Elements, and I just needed three acres or any place where I could grow my herbs and my business. The bankers in the mid-80s didn't take a single mom with a company that was based on herbs very seriously. Interesting. <laughs> I really feel like, I don't know if you know Beatrix Potter and the Peter Rabbit, but I really felt like his mom with a little basket of lavender going around to bankers and real estate agents who were just blowing me off or just getting amused, if anything, with my presence there. But by this wonderful stroke of luck, I had already been looking around and I was almost in tears, almost on my way back to where I was renting. And I saw a real estate agent. So I stopped in there and I said, please help me find a place. You know, I'm really desperate. I had a respectable down payment. She said, I think I have the place. And she drove me up the Baraboo Bluffs, which is considered one of the last great places by the Nature Conservancy because of the big diversity of plants and animals and birds here. It's the largest contiguous acreage of deciduous forest this side of the Mississippi. So it's a really big area of deciduous trees, mainly because it's rocky, like it's old mountain range. 
Anyway, so we went up there. She showed me this house and I was really enchanted with the land, although the house was kind of scary, actually, because it had been rented for about 20 years and not maintained. But by the grace of Gaia, the previous owner was a single woman business owner who had a soft spot for stray cats. She housed up to 100 stray cats at a time. And I have a hunch I was her next stray cat. So she helped me out do a land contract since the banks weren't being very helpful. But we were able to, just with her kindness, really able to do a deal where I was able to secure 130 acres in this beautiful area, the Baraboo Bluffs. It, it was just a miracle. Wow, what a story. That's amazing. And how long were you there? Are you still there? Yes, I'm still there. I hope to always be there. And now David and I were both horticulturists. He's the curator at the University Arboretum of the woody plant collection. So the flowering trees and shrubs. So we are creating a whole new botanical garden right here in the Baraboo Bluffs. It's amazing now, but it'll be more amazing when all those trees he planted get big. That's so exciting. Yes. So I thought we had sort of transitioned now into how you came to write The Celestial Garden. This is a topic that is of great interest to me, herbs as well. But The Celestial Garden is something, planting by the moon is something I'm fascinated by and currently trying to learn a lot about and talking about it on on the podcast and on my solo podcast, Slow Living Through the Seasons. We're talking a lot about planting by the moon and planting by the signs of the moon and all of those things. So I want to talk about that and how you got into that and how you came to write this really wonderful, comprehensive book about it that I've so enjoyed reading. Thank you. Well, when you're a curious sort and your career is outdoors, there's so much more you can learn. In fact, even just studying plants, I realized the more I learn, the more I didn't know. I was able to layer on organic gardening, organic farming, when organic certification became a thing in the late 80s. I had that. And out of curiosity, it just started buying the old farmer's almanac back in the late 80s. So I would try to plant and harvest according to their guides in the back of the old farmer's almanac. And I found great success in that. But also, I am a double Aries, which means all I want to do is start projects. So I make a lot of messes. <laughs> and it was so interesting for me to just follow those guidelines how everything, I saw how everything has a rhythm. There's beginnings and endings and times to start things and times to end things. And by looking at this guidance, for me, it was at first just the chart in the old farmer's almanac, but I found myself getting in this rhythm, really this cosmic rhythm, which was way more knowledgeable than my ego planned for the day. So I found just great success, but also I liked the whole thing of giving up a part of me and asking like for the celestial guidance, what doors are open today? Because then I found I was really more in a rhythm with nature and also opening up from just the earth to all of that other guidance that comes from above. It was just a really fun transition to start developing this over the past 30 years. Also, I'm in a worldwide meditation group where we do meditations according to each astrological sign's full moon. So there's full moon meditations for every astrological sign as we move through the months. That also helped dial me into 
these rhythms. And if you want to start projects, think about doing it in an Aries moon. If you want to collect things, maybe you could do that under a Taurus moon. It just helped really dial me into all of those rhythms between those two disciplines. Here are some things we love about pine tree garden seeds. For one thing, they're lady farmers. It's a woman-owned and woman-run company. 85% of their staff is female. And they've recently switched to a more sustainable envelope to ship seeds. Their new mailers are completely recyclable, made of paper and a cushioning material that is specifically designed to easily separate from the paper fibers during the repulping and recycling process. They're also longtime members and supporters of the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association and signers of the Safe Seed Pledge, promising to never knowingly sell any GMO seeds. They do germination testing throughout the year on every single seed variety they carry, so they can stand behind their viability guarantee. Pine Tree Garden Seeds is meant for every level of expertise, for the yard artists, the backyard growers, the herb explorers, the bouquet builders, the habitat curators, and beyond. They're committed to helping you get the most out of your home garden by providing high-quality garden seeds, plants, and supplies at an affordable price. Get your spring garden going today by ordering your seeds from superseeds.com and using our promo code GOODDIRT2024 for 20% off your entire order. That's S-U-P-E-R-S-E-E-D-S.com with our code GOODDIRT2024. So we were chatting a little bit about this earlier and, and your system of, or the one you use, I should say, I think there are a lot of different like systems of celestial gardening and planting by the moon. And you use the one, use the guide in the Old Farmer's Almanac, which I think is the same calendar or chart that is used in biodynamic farming. Have you found that to be true? Do those match up? Actually, they're two different systems. Okay. Yeah, the biodynamic system, it's a side real system where they take all the planets and constellations into account. And the Old Farmer's Almanac is mainly the phases of the moon as it's waxing or waning, as well as each astrological sign carries an influence. With biodynamic, it seems to me, just because I looked at it as a comparison, I've not really practiced it. They look at the elements. So each of the astrological signs break into the four elements, air, earth, fire, and water. With biodynamic, they really dial into those four elements to where the earth element equals root crops. You would deal with your root crops on that day. The fire element deals with fruits and seeds. The air element deals with flowers. And the water element deals with leaves. So they tune theirs into those elements more than the Old Farmer's Almanac. I see. And what would you say are some real basic rules of the system you follow using, I believe, the astronomical calendar in the Old Farmer's Almanac? What are some basic rules of that, the one you use? Yeah, so the most basic rule of thumb is plant while the moon is waxing, which is from new moon to full, and harvest when the moon is waning from the full moon to the new moon. But that is very basic, and it doesn't really cover really the first few steps. That's just like the fishing pole. Look at the fishing pole. Then you can start talking about different ways to get into it. To break it down further, the first quarter is for crops that produce their seeds outside the fruits. This would be like lettuce, broccoli, 
where their flowers are not part of the fruits. And well, sorry, their flowers are part of the fruits, but that's not the part where the crop we're going for. The second quarter, well, it's also considered the first quarter, but what right now we're talking about is from the first quarter when the moon is shaped like a D in the sky to when it's full. So in this system, you would go new moon, first quarter, full moon, last quarter. Those are the four quarters. So in the new moon quarter, then that would be for growing crops or working with crops that produce their seeds inside the fruit. So that's tomatoes and peppers, squashes, and crops like that. The next week after the full moon, that is useful for root crops. That's why there's an old phrase, and I always say this when I teach the class, and some old-timers, like one or two old-timers always hear this, plant potatoes on Good Friday, because Good Friday always lands just past the full moon, so that's the third quarter. Then the last quarter is about basically killing things, weeding, setting traps, it's closing up shop, it's ending projects. That's kind of the, another bit of the basics there. So this is fascinating. The one I follow that I grew up around in Appalachia, there are some overlaps, but there's some differences as well. And it goes by the astrological calendar that is in the Old Farmer's Almanac. They tell you, you know, there's a difference between the astronomical calendar and the astrological calendar. This one's on this page and this one's on the other page. So you can actually, you know, flip through and compare the differences. And they're about a day and a half to two days off. <laughs> you just have to decide, I think, you know, which one you're going to follow and which one you're keyed into and just kind of stick with it. But, and there are overlaps, there are differences. But basically, this one is referred to by planting by the signs. In this system, you would plant in the waxing moon, you would plant above ground crops. And in the waning moon, you would plant root crops. Right. That's, the, that's the really basic thing. And I think there's some overlap there in the two. And the zodiac signs are each attached to a body part. So they're guides like such as you would plant vines in the arms and similar things that sort of make sense in a way, in a real fun folklore sort of way, although they would swear it's not folklore that really works. So in the system that you follow, does it have a particular name or a tradition that it comes or source that you know of? Does that lean into the signs at all, the body part associated with the zodiac? constellations. Okay, so that's a great question. I'm going to have to look into that. What would be a technical name for a planting according to the Old Farmer's Almanac style? I don't have the technical name for that. Like right now I'm calling it the Celestial Gardening because that's the name of my book. Yeah. Well, I think in in the Old Farmer's Almanac they just call it the planting calendar. It's kind of confusing and then you go and when I realized that the planting calendar was different from planting by the signs, I dug around and actually you know, in the Old Farmer's Almanac, it, it has a little paragraph, astrology versus astronomy, and it tells you which calendar to go to for whatever you're looking for. So it does get a little mind-bendy, but it's fun and it's fascinating. And I'm just curious, like, okay, this is the system they followed in Appalachia. And I know in Appalachia, there were a lot of Scots-Irish immigrants, and there were a lot of Cherokee people around there. And I'm, I'm just wondering if this is some old system that came over from Europe and that maybe was mixed in with the indigenous systems. And I've just started looking in, into this. There's not really not not much on it. But I've done some research in the Cherokee folklore and traditions for a book I'm writing. 
that I've been writing for about 15 years now. But now I'm hoping maybe I can dig back in there and see if there's something that relates to this. But as far as the planting calendar in the All Farmers Almanac, this is the one you're using. And they just call it the planting calendar. So go figure. <laughs> yeah, it's fascinating to hear about, you know, and that we know there's so many different systems. But, you know, part of it is I wonder how much of this is also your intention, because everyone who's in the mindfulness world knows that even by using your intention, how you can change outcomes. So I'll accept folklore is also a valid system. <laughs> Because, you know, there's the Pacific Islanders who use planting by the moon and there's all different systems. You know, they usually go in that same rhythm of plant as the moon is waxing and uh, plant root crops and harvest when the moon is waning. You know, there are some basic things that tie together. But, you know, I do agree with you that people do have to sort of pick the one that resonates with them and go with it. It's been fun for me to write this book and explore other systems like the biodynamic, for example, and the whole thing with the elements, because my company is four elements. So I do like to gear into the element and elemental type of energy. And as far as the body parts and the zodiac signs, because I like to harvest, grow and harvest herbs for medicine, it is fun for me to try tune in, dial in a bit, little bit on how I can incorporate my outcomes according to aligning my harvesting, for example, maybe under a Leo for heart medicine or things like that. Like it, it's just, it's just fascinating and fun. And it makes it seem more like a ritual then as well. Yes. And you know, to your point about which system and which rules. And it really is about the intention and the focus and just tuning into the rhythms. And you say this in your book, and I agreed wholeheartedly, how once you take to a system like this and start following it, and it's hard to do it exactly. You know, you're going to have days where it doesn't work out and the weather and, you know, best laid plans and all that. But once you kind of get into it, you really appreciate the structure that it gives you in your gardening life. So, and you talk about this in the book. So maybe you want to talk a little bit more about that. Well, I did love that structure because I'm not somebody who goes for structure just naturally. So I would plant, I am not kidding you, as a double Aries who wants to start projects, starting seeds is about my favorite thing to do. So starting in February in my zone four, that's when we would start like really slow growing, cold loving plants like parsley, maybe some perennials and also onions. So starting then I would start the seeds, then moving into like the quick annuals. Those could be started in March. But then I would just continue to start seeds and start seeds because you can start your late crops of your crucifers, broccoli, cabbage and all of those. You start those in early June, you know, I would just be starting seeds. And by the time I went out to the fields to check things, and I would be also planting in the field, but by the time I went out there, it was so weedy. It was crazy. It was like, oh, I can see where I've been spending my time is in the greenhouse planting and just like finding a new space and planting more seeds in the garden. But this really gave me a rhythm because I would totally honor the weeding days. That rhythm really helped me out too. 
And even where it says clean out the garden shed under a Virgo moon or Libra, I've tried that and it was so slick. It's just fabulous to be able to check out what doors are open every day according to astrology. Yeah, there's something for every day or there are days when you might decide that you don't want to do anything because it's not a good planting day and, you know, the weather's bad and you don't really feel like getting out there and weeding or whatever you're supposed to do. And it's okay. To me, it helps alleviate that feeling of there's always something to do in the garden and the pressure of always getting out there. It really helps with that. I agree. And as Fern, my editor at Chelsea Green said, if I only have one hour to get out to the garden, I could just consult the book or your calendar and I would see if it was a weeding or planting day or what. And I could use my one hour very efficiently. And also, as you said, it does make sense that there are resting days like that last week before the new moon. That's a very inward time. And there is time for resting. And that's a relief too, isn't it? <laughs> yes, absolutely. And, you know, like now, you know, in the gardening season, this is we're having this conversation in November. And, you know, the gardening season is finished here. And it feels good, <laughs> actually, to have that time off. Yeah, we've been so lucky. We've had such a warm fall. I was out in roots even over the weekend still, because it was just so lovely out. But I am really ready to wrap it up too and do some other things. Does it kind of worry you this really warm November has, you know, if things change so much that our gardening's actually changing? Do you have that thought sometimes? And does it feel worrisome to you? Well, I agree that things are changing, but I know things are changing. And I also know all I can do is what I can do. It's just part of my thought process to not try. I'm like, don't want to worry. Like worrying is the best use of my energy. So what I'm going to do is the best job I can, you know, keep green on top of my soil. So I'm holding carbon where it should. And just know that whatever I can do that can help the earth, you know, growing my own food that it doesn't have to be trucked from anywhere. All of those things just make me feel better. And honestly, I have chosen to not watch the news and just Pay attention to what the astrology is doing because then I'm sure I'm not getting any propaganda. My life is busy. Like I have a lot of things I juggle. I have plenty of things that I have to manage. I cannot manage wars that are halfway across the planet. You know, I, I will pray for them or something, but I, I'm better off not worrying and just doing the best I can. But truly, everything is changing. You know, just to be lightweight about it, we plant trees that used to not be hardy. So when you said a minute ago that you are excited to get to other things when you put the garden to bed for the season, what do you do over the winter? Well, what I really want to do is make wreaths. I love con collecting yeah. balsam fir and pine, arborvitae, and making wreaths. In fact, I am in the village of North Freedom now, and um, they decorate the village for Christmas, and I want to get my wreaths done in time before they decorate. You know, I love the holidays. We have, you know, all this homegrown food, just buckets and bushels full of homegrown produce. I get family and friends to come for Thanksgiving, and it's really fun to finally care about picking up recipes. Like in the summer, if I have a cucumber and a tomato, that's a great meal with a uh, little cheese on it or something. But anyway, now it's just time to cozy in. I love building a fire and I love studying and writing and I can get back into my newsletters and all those wonderful, warm, inward things. 
Yeah, I agree. I completely agree. It's the colder months, the non-gardening months are so good for writing projects and reading and studying and just, you know, cultivating your interior life. So it's like a cycle just like in the garden. It's like an inner garden. (laughs) That is so right. I love the way you said that. But don't get me wrong. I love to get outside every day and I just love, love snow. So I love cross-country skiing every day. And if the lake freezes, I like to go skating. But I just love cross-country skiing, so I'm always hoping for snow. Oh, yes. We get snow here, but it's not really consistent. Some winters we might have a lot. Some winters we might not get any, any at all. So we love it when we get it, but can't really count on it. Right. Yeah. There are some things that you mentioned in your book that I thought were just really interesting and caught my eye. I wanted to ask you about it. I want to ask you about the statement you made. Many people have been marketed out of their common sense. You want to talk about that a little bit? Thanks. It is such an observation that I've had over the years, just selling, for example, creams and soaps. You know, I get flabbergasted when I have like, a, just say a comfrey cream and somebody will say, well, could I use it on my cuticles? Could I use it under my eyes? Could I use it on my feet? Like, wait a minute. When Mary and I were that age or whatever, I don't know if there were creams for every different part of the body. It would just be a cream would be for dry skin. And then when people ask so many directions on how can you, how do you use something? I just find it amazing that there's no like intuitive guidance that if you happen to watch anything on a TV and see the ads, there's so many for drugs. It's, I can't believe the subtle suggestions like better go to your doctor and see if you have this disease. I mean, I am just shocked that I see how little connection people have to their own inner guidance. And this is something, you know, I think our separation from nature as a culture also is cultivating that sense of not knowing what you can do or what you can't. Because, you know, if you follow nature, it does provide insight and guidance, even in the quiet moments. So, yeah, thanks for finding that quote, because that one is a big observation in my life that I've noticed over the years. Yeah. And to your point, you know, over several decades, we've come to believe that there has to be a different product for every use. And, you know, just think about like cleaning products, like where a little Vinegar and water can work on everything. Now you have to have bathroom cleaner, counter cleaner, tub cleaner, tile cleaner, you know, all these different things. And really two or three ingredients, you can do everything. And that results in all these containers, all these plastic packaging, all these aisles and aisles and aisles in the store of these things that are going to create microplastics and Yeah. So that really resonated with me. Yeah. Thanks for bringing it up. I think we could start a campaign about starting to trust your inner guidance a little, right? Yeah. I think we could, especially, you know, you and I have been around for a few decades and and we've seen this progression, you know, it's like, hold on, folks. (laughs) Right. I can't believe it. You know, it is astounding, but fascinating. And to your point about the cream, I love that. That reminded me of every night I would, my mom had her bedtime ritual of taking a big jug of Pond's cold cream and she would just rub it on her face and her feet or her hands. And that was her one beauty product 
was this big ponds cold cream. Whatever cold cream is, it was good for everything. Right. I remember <laughs> that jar now that you mentioned it. Yeah. Yeah. And there would be like one kind of soap. I mean, like different brands, but still it wasn't like 20 different kinds of soap or whatever. Anyway, it was, it's just those simpler days, right? I, I enjoyed that. Yeah. Perhaps we're showing our age, but that's all right. It's yeah. what we bring like, wisdom, right? Exactly. You exchange <laughs> youth for wisdom. Yes, absolutely. And Another thing I wanted to hear you talk about a little bit, and we've talked about it on here before, but it's such an interesting concept and one and very important one for people to grasp, I think, is this shifting baseline syndrome. Yes. I'm so glad you mentioned that. Okay. Just for those who didn't read the book yet, there's a phrase called the shifting baseline, and it has to do with um, biological systems or basically nature outdoors and how one generation will experience something, experience something in nature, and it shifts just in that one generation. And then the next generation comes along and say, there is no frogs, and they would accept that as normal. This has happened. I've seen this so many times. I remember my grandfather saying, there used to be trout in the Fox River until they put in the paper mill. So that means my generation never saw trout in those rivers, but his did. And for example, where I live, there's the Baraboo River runs through North Freedom. And I was taking a walk and I suddenly had a flash or like a vision of kids like from the 1950s taking rubber tires and swinging and jumping in the river. And no one would think of jumping in that river, but I know a guy who's about 90 who was from here. So I said, Mary, ask Phil if they used to swim in the river. Sure enough, he said, yes, there were swimming holes here in Baraboo, as, I mean, North Freedom, as well as Baraboo. And, you know, you think of the farming methods that switched to where the soils were not so exposed for so many months. And so the mm -hmm. soil stayed intact and the silt didn't run in these rivers and they had sandy bottoms and they were clear. But nobody would even think oh, we used to be able to swim in that river. We should be able to clean that up and swim in it. No, people just think rivers are polluted and they accept it as what is. Okay, another one, Mary. When we were kids, you could drink a tap water anywhere in the country. I mean, it didn't matter what city. You never even thought about it. Now everyone has to, well, they don't have to. You could just bring your own bottle. But, you know, everyone buys these plastic bottles of water and you know, that shouldn't be acceptable to make a, something that should be available for everyone, water, commodity, you know. I agree so much with that. That's just really hits home. Like, next thing you know, they'll be doing cans of air or something. Oh, help, help us. No, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting to think about that shifting baseline and its relationship to time and memory and how just enough time passes and we just sort of forget or things seem super normal. It's really interesting to keep that in mind. Thank you, Emma. I mean, this is something to really stoke up in our consciousness of this country. Like, for example, when Mary and I were little, there were billboards for copper tone suntan lotion. Remember that? You know. <laughs> oh, yes. The dog pulling the little girl's bathing suit. Yes. So but the point is, like now you're really warned to not go out in the sun without sunscreen. This is the opposite. We used to put on lotion to get darker. Yeah. And the, the oil, you know, we would rub oil on and lay out because it would make the sun more intense on your skin because, yeah, 
this shifting baseline thing is so interesting. And it, it really takes an elder to give us perspective on this. And I have a really great example of this. My dad is 98 and he grew up in Florida and he tells this story. He just told it again a couple of weeks ago because I wanted to hear it again and make sure I had it right. But he recalls going out night fishing with his dad and uncle or whoever, and they would cast the nets and the fish, there would be sometimes, not always, but there was this phenomenon where if there was a lot of fish, it would create like a phosphorescence in the water. And so the, the water would light up and it would be like these magical lights down in the water and it would be shimmering and shining. And this was night fishing and you could see how many fish they were. And he said, you know, when they saw that, they knew it was going to be a great fishing night because they could see how many fish were out there. And he said, that doesn't happen anymore. There's not enough fish to create that phenomenon. And I don't know how it happens or or the science behind it. I just know that my dad is a young boy observing this, the water lighting up with the phosphorescence of the abundance of fish in the water. And that's a thing in the past. You just wonder how do a fish even have a chance because every fisherman's boat has a camera where they can just look under the water and see what fish are there and dangle their, watch themselves on a little screen, dangle their bait in front of them. Poor fish don't have a chance. It's, yeah. So that's a fascinating idea. And I, I hope that with, you know, all of us talking about this and trying to make changes and trying to change the way we live on the planet that you know, there will be a, a time when these things will turn around and maybe in the future, two or three generations from now, they'll be talking about the baselines shifting back. I love that. Wouldn't that be cool? Yeah. I want to spend my time instead of worrying, visualizing that reality. Yes. They would say this disappeared for a while, but then humans learned what they were doing and changed their ways. And now everything's coming back. It's because I think you have a thought and then that creates an intention and then you can create change like that. If our country cared more about health than money, just think what would happen. Yeah. Creating health, promoting health instead of fighting disease, which we know is important, but it's just almost like the the energy behind it is a little different. Yeah, I wasn't even referring to that. But like if when I even asked my politician, hey, have you ever been in a session where there was a choice between health and money and health won? And he just laughed. So my point is all decisions are based on where money rises to the top. It's just a capitalist culture, right? But if we had a when Emma's generation takes over, then we'll get politicians with a different value system. So they'll say health matters of all creatures matters more than money. And then they'll make decisions where health is the most important thing. I hope so. These will be your people, Emma, your generation. A couple of things. Back to the garden. I wanted to ask you, Jane, do you ever have a plant that chooses you? that wants to be there? Maybe you didn't plant it, or maybe you just planted one and it took all over. And you think maybe it's there to try to tell you something. Yes. Woo, woo. Yeah, I totally have that story. I love it. Yes. And I love that you asked that question because it means you know that happens. Yes. And I'm going to ask you about a couple of plants too, but I want to hear about your plants that that chose you. Yeah. I can even tell you all about it because I don't make any products with this plant. 
So once I had a little tiny wart on a, like a little bitty bump on my finger there. So I wondered what plant takes care of warts? About two days later, I looked out my uh, window and this weed came in. I said, I wonder what that plant is. And I looked it up, like what plants help with warts? And the plant was called celandine. It's related to poppy. It has an orange sap. And that was the same plant that cures warts. And it worked. <laughs> it worked really fast. Yeah, so that was so cool. I was just wondering what plant could help me. And there it was right under my living room window. You called it in. <laughs> Something. We have one around here. I think it's a native. I think it is. It's called lesser celandine. I don't know what it does, but it's, I see it in the woods a lot. I was going to ask you about, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, but mugwort. Do you have mugwort where you are? I do have too much mugwort. Yeah. I mean, it's such a magical plant. It's so highly esteemed in so many European cultures. So I had it and now I've got hedges of it. We're organic, so we don't spray chemicals. And my husband mows it and chops it back, but it is, it's really aggressive, isn't it? Also makes me wonder, you know, I always feel like they, they know something I don't. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. And there are places where it doesn't go, but there are places where it just, it wants to be all over. So this year I've sort of took on the attitude of fighting it less and seeing what happened. And it's definitely beautiful and it smells wonderful and it, it does grow into a beautiful hedge. And so I just wondered if you dealt with mugwort too. Yes, we do. And another one that I love and I encourage that just sort of came to me, that's not completely true. I did buy a Tulsi plant, like one Tulsi, and I put it in. And in subsequent years, I have had Tulsi everywhere. Now, Tulsi, also called holy basil. And I know it's the queen of herbs in India and it has so many uses. So I know that that is a plant for me. That is a plant for me to drink tea out of, to harvest the seeds and to make a tincture of come winter. And I've got a tincture going right now of Tulsi. And do you have a holy basil Tulsi? It is not native, but it certainly, I think, a wonderful herb to have in the garden. I agree. I grow rows and rows of Tulsi for my Tulsi telepathy, but I love the flavor of it. I love the tradition in India, how they would start the day with blessing the plant and feeling blessed from the plant. I love the American tradition now of using it as an adaptogen, help you cope with, you know, stress or whatever. And I like it because I feel very grounded and centered to where I can make very clear decisions. And especially I like it, like if I have a couple cups of coffee that are maybe starting to get me a little too jittery, I'd love to have Tulsi tea after that to just get myself all together again. So grounding. I do the same thing. And I think, am I cheating by drinking coffee and then expecting Tulsi to, to, to Tulsi tea or a Tulsi tincture to settle me down? But then it's like, oh, well. We are so blessed with so many great things to enjoy, aren't we? And we are. I think Tulsi came to me for handling stress and juggling a lot of things at once and helping me when there are, you know, 10 tasks to do and I don't know which one to do first. And so thank you so much. I enjoy sharing with other gardeners and herbalists things that they find are more personal to their garden for whatever reasons. So there is one more thing I want to ask you about. Are you familiar with 
this system called phenology? Yeah. So phenology is when you write down when things bloom or when things are dying in the fall or when the first frost. It's just observations of nature that you repeatedly write down year after year. Aldo Leopold is from, he wrote the Sand County Almanac, and he used to be very famous as the father of, was it ecology? Well, anyway, he was really popular. I guess not everybody knows him anymore. Anyway, that was his brilliance, was his phenology and writing down and really observing nature closely and writing everything down. Do you find that you follow that at all, or do you stick with your celestial system? As we were saying, you can get too many systems going and it gets confusing. Yeah, between an herb company and herb farm writing and being a parent, I don't have time for phenology, darn it. There's so many things to do, right? Yeah. That seems like such an like organic one, if that's the word. You're like, oh, the daffodils are blooming. Oh, this is one I, I learned last year because we have a group of people that are growing flax. And the phenology behind planting your flax was to plant when the daffodils started blooming. Oh, I love which, that. Yeah, which really works because, you know, the daffodils come early in the spring and flax likes cool weather. It doesn't mind a frost. And so I did that last spring and it, it worked. So <laughs> what does slow living mean to you? Well, I think the first thing that comes to mind is like doing things from scratch and also not rushing to the store for everything, you know, making do with what you have. My husband goes to the grocery store once a week and, you know, we get a few things. I think slow living is also about planting your seeds and watching them grow and then doing their harvest. And, you know, we do a lot of canning and drying and going through the seasons, but also that thing about trying to slow down so that you can appreciate life and not being so rushed with having to, you know, get excited about what you have to purchase next and all of that sort of a thing. I love that. Getting excited about what you have to purchase next. Honestly, sometimes <laughs> guilty. I do that. Believe me, there are thousands of people out there trying to get you to pay attention to that. Yes, that's awesome. And also, what does the good dirt mean to you? Well, Soil is everything. I just feel like it's been fascinating with this whole book because I realized for 40 years I've been looking down at the good dirt and seeing, I feel like all health comes from the good dirt, all food, medicine. You know, I just think of the earth as like the big mama, the big mother that supports us all. And it's physical, it's spiritual. I mean, it's a time frame. But I love that question because it actually makes me feel reverent thinking of the good earth. I would say the good earth because dirt is what's found in your vacuum cleaner. Soil is what cultivate plants. <laughs> totally. In. Yeah, we've had people sometimes when we were interviewing someone from the UK, which we've done several times, they'll say, oh, you know, that we're dirt, you know, we, it's not, it's not good. Good and dirt kind of don't go together, but we like to put them together. It helps people frame the idea and the concept of the good dirt is soil and right. fundamental to life. So, and it makes you smile. That's very yes. important. Is there anything else that you'd like to talk about before we wrap up? I just think it's so important that people slow down and look at the rhythms that are in nature and tune in to that more. I mean, sure, we're going to pull out our sweaters when the weather gets cold and we tune into, you know, the seasons in that way. But I think we could take it on a different level. And, you know, in the spring, think about 
you know, really bringing in something new in your life and making it a deeper, more meaningful season in different ways, or maybe getting together in groups and having rituals that celebrate each full moon or beginning of each um, season. I think the earth would appreciate us paying more attention to these natural rhythms. And I think there'd be a whole lot of healing that comes to the earth and to the humans through that relationship. Thank you so much. And what would you like to leave people with about the work that you're doing, about your book, how people can tune in more to your work and your business, just anything you want to leave us with? Well, I really would encourage people to consider herbs first for basic home remedies. If you can just even grow a few Just think of all the plastic packaging and less driving to the store for whatever little remedy you might need. I think every little bit of plastic that you don't buy is really a cool thing. And these herbs were made to help us along our path. I'm not saying people don't need other medicines at times, but for the simple remedies to help get us through life, I really would encourage people to, you know, visit their local herb shop or grow a few herbs. They're delicious and very seductive. So tell people about your book and where to find it. They can go to my website, which is www.4elementsherbals.com. Or if you happen to be in North Freedom, Wisconsin, an hour northwest of Madison, stop on by Monday through Friday. We'd be there. Thank you so much. Thanks for your time today. I've just really enjoyed talking to you and picking your brain about all things herbs and gardens and planting by the moon and all these fun things that we share in common. It's just been really great. Yeah, there's so much good dirt here. (laughs) That's great. Thank you so much. And we'll be in touch. Thank you. Well, thank you, Emma and Mary, for having me as your guest today. It was a real pleasure and a joy. calling in and spreading the good dirt. We love hearing from you. You can reach our listener voicemail at 443-459-1950. That's 443-459-1950. You can find this number in our show notes and in our Instagram profile. This show is produced by Lady Farmer, a slow living lifestyle community. And the original music is composed and performed by John Kingsley. For more from Lady Farmer, follow us on Instagram at We Are Lady Farmer. That's We Are Lady Farmer. Or join us online at www.ladyfarmer.com. We'll see you next time on The Good Dirt. Goodbye.